Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Hey, magical humans, I've got a great episode for you today. But first, I wanted to tell you about something I've been working on in the background. It's called the Up Level with Ease Sisterhood, and it's a group coaching experience that I'm going to do with an intimate group of women. That means I'm limiting the number of people that are going to be in the group because I want to foster a real sense of sisterhood where we will support each other to help each other grow and sparkle. We'll dive into feminine energy of ease and flow, and we will up-level our lives in every way, personally, in relationships, in our businesses, in our sport, wherever you want it. If you feel called to join this experience or are curious and want to learn more, message me ASAP. I'll tell you all the details and reserve your spot. Now, enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Jen Moff. She's the pioneer of the mindfulness-based manifest- manifestation method. I don't know why I struggle with that word today. And she is here right now. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. And we've been having so much fun talking that um, we decided we should finally hit record. <laughs> Let other people have fun listening to us. We're having a good time. Yeah. Let's start out. What is the mindfulness-based manifestation method? So basically I was introduced to mindfulness like 2012 when I was in the middle of like super bad depression, abusive relationship. My sister who happens to be a mental health counselor was like, Jen, you need to be more mindful. And I joke that I must've looked like a caveman that just saw fire for the first time. Like, Oh, fire. Like so excited and enthralled. And, um, So I got very curious about it. I had her do a guided meditation for me and it helped tremendously. So I put my nose down and just started researching everything that I possibly could about mindfulness and meditation and read books like Loyalty to Your Soul and the Mindful Manifesto and all sorts of stuff. Googled my little heart out, watched everything, read every blog as much as I could find. And so I started applying the formal practice of meditation to my life, but I also really found that I was naturally wired to the informal practice of just approaching things through this lens of the observer. And, you know, mindfulness has its history in uh, Eastern philosophies and religions, but it was only recently brought to the West by John Kabat-Zinn, like 40, 50 years ago. And his premise was, let's secularize it and make it about stress relief. So it was very like medicinal and scientific. And I realized in the last couple of years that I don't use it in either one of those ways. I've used it as a tool for empowerment because when I approach things by acting as a neutral observer, 
So say I'm watching stuff that's happening in my head that's organically mouthing off and bitching at me. I know that that's not me. I don't buy into it. So there's an opportunity to kind of separate and quickly diffuse any shame, guilt, any of those nasty negative things that go on. And by doing that, I don't judge decisions that I make anymore. It's allowed me to really act on my heart's desires and recognize those things again and go after what I want in life, in love, in in my business, all of those things. So it's really been a tool for me first to get what it is the hell I want. (laughs) And I've realized that that's how I coach. That's what I use when I work with people is the same principles. And it's amazing how quickly shifts can happen because of it, layered on top of, you know, other tools that we certainly know and love. So yeah, that, that's the tale of its inception, if you will. <clears throat> so much yes. And I'm currently running the CTFO intensive. CTFO means chill the fuck out. And it's a five-day oh. class. It's basically mindfulness and meditation. I do it during the holiday season to oh. help people survive and thrive during this time of year. But everything that you just mentioned, that is what I'm teaching this week. Oh, snaps. I'm so glad to hear somebody else is, is onto this. Cause I, I honestly, I've never heard anyone approach it this way ever. So I'm not sure I, love, if I have either. Yeah. I love that. It's something that you're building into chill the fuck out. I love that name too. That's great. <laughs> so, so let's talk about more like, all right. So you got into your, your sister's led you through a guided meditation and you were sold immediately? Yeah. I was at my parents' house. I was 30. I had quit a corporate job after relocating for them. And then they wanted me to relocate again. And I was just miserable. So I was like, okay, well, do I do it again and have nothing to show for it? No. What what am I doing? Or do I just say something's got to change and I move in with my parents at 30 years old in a retirement community in Florida? So I chose that. I didn't know a soul. It was not a great environment for, you know, a young professional, but I made the best of it. And my sister was there visiting for the holidays in 2012. And so I was staying in this guest room and she came in and did probably about an hour of a guided meditation with me. Um, starting out with just, you know, noticing and watching the breath, but certainly building in some visualizations as well. And prior to the meditation, I was extremely anxious. I had had my first panic attack ever in my life. Like the day before I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't like regulate my own emotions. I had so much that I was just stewing about like dark night of the soul stuff. And afterwards it was just like this (sighs) peaceful, quieter, grounded release. And I, I still can remember that feeling to this day, for sure. You just shifted oh, the entire energy of yeah. everyone. It's got, it shifted my energy. I'm pretty sure you brought everyone to that grounded place who's listening right now. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's funny how people, and I don't know if you, you see this in your work. I, I imagine you do. I'd love to hear a story, but when there's people that have certain belief systems that maybe are resistant to the idea of meditation or like, Oh, this is, what is this? I don't know. Okay. All right. What am I supposed to do? Or 
then there's the other thing like, I can't shut my brain off. Please somebody help me meditate better. Oh, that's not what it's about, but bless your heart. Yes, that does get a bless your heart. (laughs) It's so common. And and my go-to go-to response on that is typically, hey, I have ADHD. I can meditate. And yeah, FYI, it's not about stopping the thoughts. It's about watching them. It's about not jumping in the car. Yeah. I say that there are like cars going by on the highway and you get to choose if you go and run and try and grab onto the door handles on all of them. <laughs> I like that visualization. It's like, do you want to thumb for a ride or is, or are you just going to observe and, and walk by yeah. yourself? Yeah. And some of them are unmarked vans offering candy. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones you're just going to keep on going back to. <laughs> you don't want to get in that one. That's not safe, kids. <laughs> Stranger danger. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It's interesting though that you that you bring that point up because it is hard. I found for people to kind of like break patterns that are like, for example, I was talking to a woman earlier today. She um, had just started working, not working, but uh, going to Weight Watchers, and she's finally understanding that it's an addiction to food. And I said, you know, food and sleep, those are the two hardest things. And for people that have experienced any kind of stress or whatever, and they use those as a comfort tool, it's not like alcohol or, you know, heroin or something like change your friends, change your environment. And then you, you know, in theory, you can keep yourself away from it, but you always have to eat. You always have to sleep and using tools like mindfulness and meditation have been really helpful for all of my little quirky enjoyment of overindulgences over the years, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> excuse me, what made you decide to share it with other people? It wasn't specifically, you know what, mindfulness is amazing and I have to tell the world about it. It was a byproduct of realizing the the stuff I did want to talk about and that I did care about, which was having to do with, you know, doing the inner work that's so necessary for you to get past any of your problems. Um, Recognizing that your relationship with yourself ends up being a mirror in all the other relationships that you have. So if you have had abusive relationships, if you've experienced emotional childhood neglect, you know, all those things. If you're a people pleaser, if you're walking on eggshells, all of those things, burning out yourself with perfectionist tendencies, you're going to need some support. And mindfulness to me is just a really easy, no-braining, no-brainer kind of tool to help with those things. Um, So it was really kind of just these two birds flock together kind of thing, I guess would be the easiest way to say it. Cause I'm not like this. I am a mindfulness teacher. I teach everyone about like, certainly I do. And I love talking about it, but not like that's my jam. And that's all I talk about. Cause I care about a lot of things. What do you care about? Uh, communication is another big one. Um, especially with, you know, I, that's what my degree is in. And it's always interesting to me telling people about the like communication pie chart. So if we look at what, com- what, is, um, what communication is composed of, we've got the words that you use, the vocal tone and variety, and then the body language. 
the words themselves are only 7% of that pie. Wow. And then if you take into consideration semantics and how we give words meaning, so really they're just symbols and they either have tons of meaning or they really have no meaning, that's, that's one piece of the pie. The second one, vocal tone and variety, that's 38%. So the majority, 55% is in body language. So if you're texting, if you're writing, if you're, you know, slacking, chatting online, whatever, you're missing out on so much miscommunication. You're, you're not missing out on miscommunication. You are opening up the door wide for miscommunication. Another interesting fact, um, of written communication, there was a study done years ago. I can't remember the statistics uh, or the, the origin of it, but 50% of written communication is always interpreted as serious and the other percent the other 50% is always interpreted as sarcastic. So that those are not good odds. Wow. I mean just just those statistics alone knowing about the pie, knowing about the 50/50 thing, knowing about semantics like it's no wonder we get hurt and offended and why people, you know, in this day and age with all the technology and communication tools we do have this kind of communication, like obviously you and I see each other right now because we're using Zoom, which I love. It, it's so important. Breakups happen via text and like in apps and shit like that. That, that doesn't help. Um, I could just rant forever. So please well, feel free to cut me Because I'm in this, I'm still like stunned. 90, we're missing out on 93% of the information when we are like, most of our communication right now is texting, chatting, messaging, yes. emailing. Yes. Mo- so many people are like, I don't like the phone. I admittedly only answer my phone when it's a scheduled call. Girl, I feel that. Like, if I don't know the number, I'm like, nope. Yep. Voicemail, you go. <laughs> and I don't really listen to my voicemail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my confession. Um, but this is this is so fascinating. So how are we still... Like, how, how are we humaning? That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I don't know the answer to that. And it, this kind of stuff, I think, is going to get worse until it gets better. Um, you know, you know, because we're in similar spaces, like, there's, there's a big shift that's going on, you know, just in the online climate, in the entrepreneurial climate. Um, in the political climate, like there's a lot of change afoot. So it's my hope that as a byproduct of all of that, this humaning is going to improve too. Um, I think we can only do it by leading by example. So I know that if there's an important conversation, I never have it in written form. Um, at minimum, it's just over the phone. Um, if I can have opportunities to connect with people remotely, I always prefer to do it using Zoom because it, one, there's, there's a nice feeling when you get to see somebody else's face, like you get to connect with somebody a little bit differently. Um, what, what do you experience in just like working through your business and even within the podcast, like scheduling people, getting to know people, do you find that it's harder to get to know somebody until you've had that visual contact with them? Well, this is an interesting question. I do 
90% of my coaching over the phone mm-hmm. without Zoom, all the podcasts, any other like business collaboration, any of that is done over Zoom. Mm-hmm. But my reasoning for coaching without being able to see people most of the time is that I want to stay out of their box. Yep. And I can do that better when I can't see them. Yeah. And so I'm a more effective coach when I'm not in their story. Agreed. Same time, sometimes I just want to see them. I think that's a a really important point is using this information almost, uh, not manipulatively, but in in the best, most um, win-win situations that we can. Like, totally agree about the coaching situation. Like, I have a 1-800 number that we both call into, and that's what we use for coaching too. Because there's there's something about the boundary mm-hmm. as being supportive to them. But yeah. if we're trying to connect as humans, like you were saying before, if we're not humaning with our loved ones, you know, being able to create real intimacy, what is that? I mean, let's be honest. I think that's a, a hard word today. It is a hard word today. What does it mean to you? <sighs> what a question. Um, I, it, its definition has changed a lot. I'm still playing with what I feel it means to me right now. Previously, I definitely saw it like in a container of romantic relationships at one point in my life, for sure. I didn't see it as something that happens in friendships. Um, and it's only been more recently that I've started to build like really beautiful, supportive, um, sisterhood type relationships that I'm experiencing that and it's new. So I think it's, to me, it's about a vulnerability and a willingness to be seen and to see and hear others. Um, there's a lot of rawness and, um, some transparency for sure. And also, I think a willingness to work through conflict and discomfort. I think that's a big piece of it, too. Have, being in an intimate relationship, you continuously choose each other and work through conflict. What about you? Did any of what I said just made sense? I it, don't it, made, it resonated so strongly. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I'm just going to say yes. That I agree completely. And I love the, the like, and now I forget the specific words you said, but like willingness to just be there through conflict mm. and see each other. Yeah, that's it, that's what's interesting, I think, about where I'm at currently. Um, in relationships that I've had, and that's another area that I really feel strongly about is uh, typically the men in my past have, you know, I've I've experienced rape twice, unfortunately. I've been in two abusive relationships and I've worked tremendously hard on myself and um, doing that deep work to level up enough that I can feel like I'm getting some progress and then level up some more and then continuously do that. Well, in the relationships, the one pattern that I still see as of the last one that I was in is for them, the emo- not being emotionally available enough to experience that intimacy, to continuously re-choose and be seen through the conflict and continue that. Um, that's the next area that I think I, I think I'm ready for and I would like to experience. So if you're listening, 
exactly. <laughs> Jen's contact details will be in the show notes. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. I see it like that on TV and stuff and it just makes me giggle. But I think it's perfect because I think, I think intimacy is really just like being as much as this is, this is something that humans struggle with is showing their hearts completely. Mm-hmm. I think that's what intimacy is. And I think one of the reasons I'm struggling isn't the right word, but like yeah. contemplating this, this word right now is I'm, I look at, all these friendships I have right now. Yeah. And they're all intimate. Interesting. Like I have so many intimate relationships. That's beautiful. And I'm happily married. So (laughs) that that is another one. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's you're, you're very lucky. You have a warm, warm energy about you for sure. So I'm not surprised to hear that at all. Thank you. I think it, uh, the the word words are funny to me. I'm amused, I'm very easily amused by words. And the word intimate, like you know, so that that means romantic relationships typically to us. And then yeah. there's intimates, as in lingerie. Yes. Who decided that that's what that meant? And it just reminds me of the word feminine, mm. which now I think of divine feminine. Mm-hmm. But just a couple of years ago, the word feminine meant feminine products to oh, me. That's so funny. It was an aisle in the drugstore. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's, see, that's, that's the thing about semantics. It's like the, the meaning that we ascribe to certain things. Um, it's funny that this is coming up. I was earlier today helping facilitate a training for high schoolers, and it was all about like leadership and identity. And um, talking about these very things like being vulnerable, being seen, allowing yourself to really connect with somebody else and what words and labels and generalizations we ascribe to things and to people and how that impacts others and, you know, creates division and lack of intimacy for sure. I love that that's coming up and being taught in high schools. Girl, you have no idea. I, I, this is, it's incredible to me because, you know, we were talking before how I'm, I'm in Boston right now. I've been here since January and I'm blown away by the initiatives and the people up here and how progressive they are. I lived in Georgia for fucking way too long and Florida for four years. You would never see something like this program down there. Never, mm-hmm. not at all. Um, and youth like as young as middle schoolers have seen do these programs and just the things that they care about it gives me gives me a little warm fuzzies about the future of our country and humanity and humaning again you know it's it's really cool it's really cool and are you bringing mindfulness to them um so the the program i act as a consultant on so it's not mine per se so the materials are pre created. And so I step in and and do some advising and and assist in certain areas. One time that I did bring it in, um, we had a small group that I was actually facilitating um, for about three hours off and on throughout the day. And we always started each like small group time with like, let's watch our breath, inhale and exhale. 
and then agree that when we do that, we're going to set, basically shut off anything that, you know, is going on outside of us. We're going to be fully present. And it was amazing what happened because it was a bunch of middle schoolers. And when they were not in the group, they were roughhousing like wild animals. And I was like, why the hell am I here? These kids are crazy. And it was, it's so powerful how quickly it just dropped them right in. It was so cool. Yeah. That is amazing. And, and I wish I had had access to that at that age. Yeah. Were you, you were, you were in New England or were you somewhere else? I was in New England. Yeah. Middle school. I was in Massachusetts. Gotcha. You mentioned earlier you were in DC for a while. How long were you there? Uh, A year, well, a year and then another year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I moved around a lot. Um, So I grew up in Massachusetts Went to high school in Connecticut, college in Maine, moved to Hawaii, Ooh. went to grad school in North Carolina, did my research in Seattle, back to North Carolina. Oh, I did some research in Barbados. Then we moved to Oregon, D.C. Well, D.C., Oregon, D.C. And then Maine. And now. And, and then 16 months <laughs> traveling around the country and now Florida. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, my gosh. So to... Where did you notice that these topics that we're talking about across the U.S., where would you say, like, maybe communication is really strong, um, intimacy is maybe strong, and even, like, being a little mindful and, you know, embodying some of those consciousness practices in all the places you lived, is there any place that definitely sticks out as being That's such a good question. Um, I think I've, I've found pockets mm. everywhere. Um, I do think New England yeah. it, it has had higher. I found more pockets there. That's so cool. I'm so glad to be here for that reason, man. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I mean, shit. Like, everything happens for a reason. I was, I was not intending to live here for any reason, and then, you know, divinity stepped in and said okay well we're gonna dangle this carrot out that you were surprised you like and now i'm not (laughs) even involved with that carrot anymore so i just used it as a tool to get here so that's perfect i'm sure that's exactly what you were supposed to do with that amen amen yeah um i wanted to ask you oh professional we were talking about that before we started recording Mm. Um, will you just riff a little bit on what does yeah. it mean to be professional? <sighs> Get up on that soapbox. Please. Okay. So what does it mean to be a professional? I think, I think that's a question that would be a great like panel discussion kind of thing, because I feel like everybody's got their own definition of that and they're all completely contradictory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, that's the thing back to communication and semantics. Everybody's got this damn different idea of what it means. And then that judgment piece, because there's no intimacy. So people are like, you're wrong, you're bad eh, over there. So, okay. The, the problem I have with the idea of being professional is it usually means you're only professional if you follow rules that were prescribed by someone that wants power and control in my personal opinion. So 
what does professional mean to somebody like that? They want somebody to behave and look in a certain way so that it serves their purposes. So only dress in certain ways, only talk in certain ways, only behave in certain ways. And if you do all those things, we're going to shame you by saying you're not being professional. And that's in some places grounds for dismissal. Like go on and fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> I think I just got a gall over there. She held her hands up like, oh, yes. <laughs> so good. Uh, I mean, here, here's a good story. I think it's a good story anyway. So when I first started my business, um, the first year was mostly just about like, I'm going to own this label of entrepreneur. I'm going to explore new market research and delve into the branding and all that stuff. So I worked with this branding company and I was much less confident than I am today at that time. And I was like, you know, I hire these people. They're professionals. They've done this for a long time. They know what they're talking about. I'm going to trust them. So they give me this advice of basically like, you're not allowed to talk about these certain things. You really shouldn't use cuss words because you're going to alienate your audience. You, you might offend some people. Everything that I know and love now about branding is you want to be polarizing, not to like cause problems intentionally, but so that people can see who you are and know what you're about. If everybody loves you, then nobody really loves you. They don't know you. So. While I appreciate where they were coming from, and they certainly have their own way of doing things, I don't think that you have to follow certain you know, professionals' advice because they know the industry, regardless of how they look and act and dress and think somebody else should. But they never like shamed me for it. But I got the advice repeatedly when I'd keep kind of coming back and saying like, this doesn't, this isn't how I really would talk though. And they said, well, think about like Target or Blockbuster or SunTrust or whomever, some large brand. And they're like, it has its own voice. It doesn't have, so they were trying to separate me from my brand when I realized I, I can't do that. Yeah. Because it feels so out of integrity and inauthentic for me. And um, even as an actor, you know, I can't fake my, a version of myself in my business. It just doesn't feel good. And every client that I've ever had likes me because of my weird sass and bad jokes and tongue in cheek humor and potty mouth. Like mm -hmm. I can still be professional and, and have all of those things. I can still care about you and do quality good fucking work. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm going to pause there because I need a breath. <laughs> it was so good. I was just, I'm ready for you to keep on preaching. <laughs> Soapbox engage. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing about, okay, and this is kind of as an aside, but it's still in the same vein professionals in the corporate world, so to speak. Um, it really bugs me about this like kind of power and control theme where employees are neglected. That hurts me so deeply. Uh, I don't know why it, it bugs me so much, but it, it does. Um, for example, like there's a big wellness 
like influx in companies right now. They're like, oh, we're pro wellness. Oh, mindfulness is on the cover of Times Magazine. We're gonna blah, blah, blah. whatever. But you can't say that you do wellness well if you don't put your money where your mouth is. Oh, sure, you can give people a gym membership for free as part of their compensation package. Sure, you can provide standing desks. Sure, you can have you know fruit in the break room. You know, healthy eating and movement is not all that wellness and well-being is. So until companies start recognizing and doing things about actual stress management, um, actual work-life balance, they're they're doing a vast disservice to their workforce who is keeping them in business. Um, Yeah, it's... It's a sad state of affairs, um, in my personal opinion. I, I don't see it everywhere. I think, you know, I've worked for a lot of small businesses when I was younger, but there's almost a tipping point that happens when a company starts taking on venture capitalist money, getting a board involved, and then it's like all of a sudden, what used to be like this conscious business, this we're going to do these purposeful things, we really care about our people and want to be really innovative and creative, all of a sudden just shifts over to we have other obligations now and we're going to have to start sacrificing certain things and what usually ends up getting sacrificed. Yeah. That's where people lose the sleep. Mm -hmm. The boundaries. That just like astounds me. The total lack of boundaries in a lot of corporate relationships, like the employee management relationship to go back to the communication piece, like answering emails when you're at home in the evenings or on the weekends, like, and if you don't do that, there's this, you're not a real professional. You don't really care. You, I mean, it's, it's this, the other idea is like, if you're not panicking, you don't care either. I think that's such bogus rationale. Like, why is there a correlation between those two things? Why why are you looking for a gold star yeah. for working all the time? I was talking to a friend recently who said that people in her office <clears throat> set the time on their email to automatically be sent at like 10.30 on a Saturday night. I'm not so, surprised to hear that. Yeah. That, there's tools that exist solely to do shit like that. Like, I own a company that helps you send emails after hours because I know you need to take care of stuff for business and you don't really want to be like, that's, that's a problem that someone solved with some software. Like that's crazy. So I recently posted on social media, fuck the hustle. That's what I think of this. (laughs) Excuse me. And I confess that I wrote, fuck the hustle, wrote the whole post and then was like, Oh, is fuck too much? <laughs> First, and I went into Canva and I changed it to screw the hustle. And then I taught, and then I like had a scheduled call with a friend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what should I say? And she's like, Kelsey, fuck the hustle. That's what you've said that before. Just go with it. So if I went you were alone, what would you say? Yeah. What have you been saying all day? What have you been saying for months, years? Fuck yeah. the hustle. We, yeah. Like our value is not in pushing and 
in losing sleep. Yeah. Who our, our value is already there. Yeah. Like you're worthy just because you exist. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, like the kind of people that are attracted to the hustle mentality, like Gary V's whole brand is like sleep six hours at maximum. And the rest of the time you better be hustle, 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 like do the damn thing. And like, he's energizing to watch at times and then exhausting as well. He's got a lot of great ideas, but his lifestyle is not one that works for me at all. And how do we deal with like, so I just heard that LeBron James sleeps 12 hours a night. Tennis players like Federer and Rafael Nadal both get 11 hours a night. So these are people after my own heart. Yeah. Yeah. And they're high performers. Like, would you say that they're not good enough, that they're not doing enough? So why is there this whole group of people that thinks that like six hours is going to get you what you want? Okay. Here's the bullshit thing. I think people would argue like, well, they're athletes. They're probably very tired. Their muscles need more time to recoup and generate. Like, okay. You can argue all the scientific, you know, circling around the bullshit kind of logic you want to, but at the end of it, I think that there's different ways that people can operate and just let people do what works for them. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, um, was it the the guy from Tesla? What's his name? Oh, I'm totally blanking. Elon, Elon Musk. Yeah. Okay. He was like in the news a couple months back about all of his like health issues and all of the stuff that he was having to go through with the company. And there was an open letter written by Ariana Huffington about Elon, you must get more sleep. You, you need to rest. And everyone like jumped her ass over it. They were like, that's not how you build an amazing company, you dumb bitch. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like back off, homie. Take a breath there. She's trying to be helpful. You don't need to lash out irrationally. And and she happens to have built a successful company. About this and on it. Yeah. (laughs) She knows a few things. Yeah. I I haven't read her book, but I've heard a few interviews, and it sounds like she came to her understanding of the importance of sleep from a place of thinking that it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Isn't that always the way? Like, something, some major catalyst for change where this shit that you're doing ain't working anymore, so gotta try something else. And and this has been a bit of a soapbox of mine lately. You Mm. don't have to wait until that. Like, what if you made the changes before? Tell me more. Let, yes. I'd like to hand you the soapbox. I would love to hear. I would love to hear. Please tell me. I am all ears. Okay, so why do we have to push ourselves to break? Why do we have to find that point? Like push to the limit. What if we added the things that we know are going to help? Like more sleep, like mindfulness, like fueling our bodies. Instead of even the people that totally fuel themselves on junk food and they're like, well, it's been fine so far cool. But what would be possible if you actually put high quality fuel in there? It's funny you say this. I was talking with another gentleman recently and we talked a little bit about how as coaches, it can be so bittersweet, heartbreaking. Like there's a reconciliation that we all, I think have to go through to level up in some areas because we can see what's possible for people. We know 
that we are not like special magical beings. We've done the work. We've worked on our mindsets. We've put ourselves in new situations. We, you know, do the challenging meaty stuff. And so we can see if somebody else is willing to do that, then they're going to have so many opportunities as well. But not everybody wants to do the work. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants to be uncomfortable. They like the velvet rat. And they... Wait, wait, wait. The velvet rat? Rut. Rut. Oh. Like dip in the ground. It's okay. lined in velvet. Okay. I call it a barbed wire blanket. Oh. You can use that. That's nice. I, thank you. Thank you. Putting that in my pocket for later. Um, it, it's, it's sad though, but we have to be able to say, you know what? These people are going to do their own thing. They're going to be on their own journey and I can't save them. They can only save themselves. So. Yeah. And it is, it, it's, it's a thing for me, like meeting people, like being at a cocktail party and I, I can see, oh, I, I call it, they're awesome. Cause mm-hmm. I believe that we all have this unique spark. We're born with it. It's our reason for being here. Yeah. And then as we grow up, we layer all this shit on top of that. All these rules, all these beliefs, all these mm-hmm. things that just like cover up our, our awesome. Mm-hmm. So I see people's awesome. And then to like, some of them want to step into it and some yeah. of them, nah, I'm comfy. Mm-hmm. Just like, don't mind my scabs from my barbed wire blanket. It's comfy over here. Snuggle up. Ugh. It just sounds so <laughs> awful. <laughs> Laying in a velvet rut, covered up with your little barbed wire blanket. Mm-hmm. It's going to be painful to get out, but you're going to be happy you do. Yeah. And the pain of, the pain of getting out is, it's a different kind of pain, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Agree. Like there's, there will, there will be tears. There will be little, like, there will be the resistance that feels like a temper tantrum. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 Yes. Yes, yes. And there's another side. And it's not like you reach the finish line. When you yeah. get to the other side, there's more opportunities for growth. Always. Yeah. Always. The analogy I like to think about is like everybody's journey is kind of like once you take that first step anyway, it's climbing a spiral staircase. So you're on the ground floor you take that first step. So you're further away from where you were and then you climb up, climb up, climb, climb, climb until you're immediately overhead from where you started. So you're like a full distance, like a head's length away, but you're looking out at the same view that you did when you were on the ground level. So you're seeing similar stuff, but you have a completely different vantage point. So everything that's in your 360 view is all of like your residual stuff that you're going to have to continuously work through and keep revisiting and keep up leveling and, and, and just play with but you're always going to have new insight and a different perspective as long as you keep climbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, I know Oprah asks this question, like what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn? I have a question. Mm-hmm. What's the lesson you feel like you're learning over and over and over again? Uh, um, I'd say it, it's kind of two, like the core, like inner wounding loops are, Definitely like the worthiness thing 
um, and being lovable. Those are the two big ones for me. Yeah. Those are big ones. Mine's trust. Mm. Not necessarily if other people I'm fine with that. Trusting myself and trusting the universe. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. yeah. I think I think that's a pretty common one, actually. That now that I think about it, like the way that you put it, yeah. Like, or even even if you look at it as like the opposite side of the coin, like giving up control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That surrender. Oh. Mm. I'll do it. And then it's like a it's it's like a being on a tightrope for me. I'm mm. like, okay, I surrender and then oh shit. Whoa. Like, let's get control here. Yeah. Ah, uh, the no god. <laughs> <laughs> it's like expand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a snail peeking his little head out. Oh, it looks great. Oh, there's something. It pulls back in. Yep. Yeah. I love all the visuals. This is so fun. I think in visuals. The whole Sorry. world is like a giant cartoon in my head. <laughs> Let's monetize that. <laughs> That'd be cool. But you'd have to extract it from my head. We need someone to come up with some software. They make it for all sorts of things nowadays. We talked about some random software earlier. So if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, that would be really great for me. Because I, like, I'll try and journal sometimes but Mm -hmm. my brain works faster than my hand same so i'm just taking notes on the stuff i've already totally processed in my head and i get kind of bored with that i'm Mm -hmm. like no i'm already i did it do you ever like this is something that it i used to hate journaling because it reminded me of like my diary and the sad shit that i wrote when i was in eighth grade or Mm -hmm when I had to keep a journal for classes either in high school or college and I had to turn it in and somebody would see it. So I never associated it with anything really positive. Now I'm, I'm much better about it. I enjoy doing it and I process through some writing, but sometimes, like you said, my mind moves much quicker. And so I'd much rather like type it out even on like the notes app on my phone or jot it down in an email and send it to myself but there's that argument about like handwriting things really helps kind of like stick everything where it needs to. That I agree with completely. And that's actually something I, I did do in school is mm-hmm. I used to, I would like rewrite notes for exams. Mm. That's how I would learn stuff. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. So if there's something I really want to stick, I definitely write it down. But just the, the daily journaling practice Mm-hmm. For me, it's more, and I'll get I'll get ideas when I'm in the middle of a bike ride or running or swimming, mm-hmm. and I got I got nothing. So I'm like, oh, hold, just hold. Can you can someone Brain? like hold that, please? <laughs> can we put that someplace really important? And then I like get home and grab my phone. And I'm like, uh, I come up with like four words, and I'm like, hopefully that'll just come back to me at another time. Isn't that funny? It, it's always like that, though. Mine's usually when I'm driving. And that like, too. Yep. Oh, what did I just think about? It was so good. If it was so good, why don't I remember it? <laughs> driving, though, sometimes I will uh, like leave myself a voice memo. Mm, yeah, that's true. I forget that that thing's on there. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's sometimes like twice I've done that. That's good. That's good. Good to remember that that's there. Because it's it's interesting all the different ways that 
we take in information and all the different ways we process it. And I think it's about figuring out what works best for us. Like, do we think in pictures or words? Do we, are we auditory learners or visual learners or kinetic learners? Yeah. Lean into that. What works for you? I was talking with a girlfriend about this the other day. Um, we do a monthly kind of like shoot the shit podcast. Uh, it's, it's on her um, existing one that she uses for business. And so we were talking the other night and I said, I've got a confession. I can't listen to podcasts. <laughs> and it's, it's not just podcasts. It's any kind of like audio stuff. I admire the hell out of people that are like, Ooh, get a book on audible and just listen to it. It'll go by so much faster for me. If I'm listening to something, I can't do anything else. Like in order for me to absorb the information, I have to focus on it. So all the people that are like, I'm doing this other thing while I'm listening. So that's the benefit. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. There's no benefit. So I might as well just get it on Kindle and read it, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is, is just as good. So why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I can't. Well, I can listen to podcasts when I'm driving. Mm, yes, and when I'm yes. moving my body. Like, so um, when I go to the gym. Yeah. When- when I'm lifting things up and putting them down, I am listening to podcasts. I am not listening to like heavy metal or <laughs> like Taylor Swift. No, I'm listening. Like there are like these wisdom bombs just being dropped in my head. I feel like that would be funny to find out. Like, you know, everybody's in the gym and they've all got their headphones on. Like, guess what this person's listening yeah. to? Like, is it this, this or this? And it's all random stuff. And you'd be so surprised to hear what people are actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I take information and and confession when there's, when somebody shares a video, Mm -hmm. I listen to it. I cannot watch a video. Interesting. See, this is fascinating. What is it about the watching factor? That's like, just nothing does nothing for me. Wow. Yeah. But I can, I finally figured out like if I just play it in the background, Mm-hmm. then I can handle it. Do you, I'm going to guess I already know the answer to this. Are you a person that can or cannot have like the radio on or mute or the TV on while you're doing other things then? When I'm doing other things, I can. Uh-huh. I cannot handle multiple sources of noise. Like, like if I'm alone, mm-hmm. the TV can be on or the, or the radio can be on. Mm-hmm. Never both that's a big no-no oh my god I cannot (laughs) handle that I feel like my brain is gonna explode but even like radio on and somebody talks to me whoa so in the car yeah car rides car rides somebody we need to pause we need to pause (laughs) some music is okay that's fun I enjoy this I love love stuff like this like just learning about how people people so do I and I think I think it's really important to hear all this stuff because so much. So I was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid and I remember I taught some lessons and everyone, this was in college. And I remember everyone being like, Oh, Jack's got ADD. Like he's, he's really hard to work with. And I was like, mm, okay, I'll take him. See if I can figure it out. We had so much fun together and that kid learned to swim like a total champ. Cause you just got to go with the flow and, and recognize that people learn differently. We see the world differently. 
That's the coach's gift, man. Yeah. We don't work in boxes. No, we do not. We work in the pool. No, I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no boxes over here. Hey, mm-hmm. would you be willing to lead us on a meditation? Yeah, sure. I'm getting all like comfortable in my chair. I'm getting my posture. Okay. Just stretching a little bit. So what I'd love, if you're not already, just to get yourself in a comfortable seated position where it's quiet and you can be completely alone and undisturbed for the next five minutes. We'll make this a potent fiver. So make sure that your feet are flat on the floor, if possible, and your back is fully supported by the chair. Allow your eyes to gently close to reduce any external stimulus as we connect with our body. And begin by bringing your attention to your breath. This may not feel normal because the usual times we focus on our breathing are at the doctor's office with a stethoscope. But today we're not worried about controlling the breath as much as observing it. Watching it rise and fall. If you notice yourself starting to control it, it's totally normal. Acknowledge what's happened and recenter yourself, allowing it to do what comes naturally. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, why are we doing this on a podcast? And that's okay. Thoughts happen. If you find yourself engaging in thought, just allow yourself the acknowledgement of what happened and bring your attention back onto the breath. Observe how your shoulders rise and fall ever so slightly. Your diaphragm expands and relaxes. Maybe there's sounds going on around you that are pulling you out and away. And we can acknowledge that, that pull and lovingly return our attention into the body. Take the next moment or two to continue watching the breath, 
with curiosity, just as you would sitting by the window watching the birds outside. And now, let's start to reconnect with each other. Come back by wiggling our feet, getting reconnected with the entire body, wiggling your fingertips, shifting your hips in your seat, stretching your neck a little bit. And when you're ready, open your eyes. That was so good. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Your voice is so perfect for it. Thank you. Uh, so, Jen, this has been amazing. How can people learn more about you? How can, do, you have, do you have recorded meditations? I do. Okay. I, um, I have a album that I released on iTunes um, called Mindfulness 1.0, and it's a collection of 10 tracks uh, plus a bonus one an hour long just with bells intermittently. And you can get it on iTunes. It's $10. You can also get it on my site, um, which is magicalmindfulness.com. That's everything related to mindfulness, all the product services, coaching, all that good stuff. And um, my speaking site, as well as consulting for um, startups and corporate for workshops and whatnot, is thegenmoff.com. And are you on social media? Girl, who ain't? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm primarily on Instagram and uh, Facebook these days, and both of those are the Gen Moff. You can find me at either one with that handle for sure. Fabulous. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been, ah, it's been really, really nice. Let me just say that. Like, I feel like you're somebody that I've known for a long time. And that was such a a nice surprise. It was really a blast. Thank you so so much. Yeah, you're so welcome. I feel the same way. That's cool. Good deal, man. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.